Welcome to Bite by Bite Nutrition for Life, a broadcast of Purdue University Extension, where we cut through the hype, explore the science behind food and nutrition, and provide practical tips for incorporating healthful strategies into everyday life. Welcome back to Bite by Bite podcast. As you know, we are here to help you cut through the hype and follow the science. And today we are going to talk about two very popular diets, keto and carnivore. I don't know about you, but every time I'm scrolling social media, I am bombarded by new keto recipes or ridiculous liver king reels about plants being toxic. And it's just another person I have to block because those posts are not good for my health. I get it. Eating healthy can be a challenge. And so the idea of cutting one item out of your diet and all your problems are improved sounds great. But I would actually argue that eating, air quotes, healthy has been made much more difficult by all of these diet trends. We have all seen that food label that says it's egg-free, dairy-free, fat-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, and as we like to say here at Bite by Bite, taste-free. But really, if it is free of all those things, then what's in it? And now I'm super confused on what, again, air quotes, healthy to eat is. Today's most popular nutrient on the chopping block is, you guessed it, carbohydrates. Everyone is hating on carbs right now, and there are many claims that carbs and sugar are what caused the obesity epidemic. But I would like to challenge that thought with a 2013 systemic review and meta-analysis of 68 studies. This review found that sugar intake had no effect on body weight when calories from other non-sugar carbohydrates were the same. So let me break that down. This means that as long as calories were equal, sugar was no more impactful, or let's say fattening, than a rice cake. High fructose corn syrup is another form of sugar that gets demonized as well. And so same study was done on fructose, same result. As long as calories were the same, fructose did not affect your waistline any different than brown rice. And remember, this was a review of 68 studies, not just one. There are also many studies that show when sugar was substituted for fat or protein, there was no change in body weight under energy balance. Again, as long as the meal contained the same amount of calories, body weight did not change no matter the macronutrient makeup of the food. So before no carb diets were a thing, we had no fat diets. Honestly, we still do. Looking at you, Weight Watchers. Studies show that whether you eat a high sugar, carb, or high fat diet, as long as calories are controlled, weight does not change. Many may be thinking, this is obvious. And one argument to that would be because carbohydrates give you four calories per gram. And this is no matter the type of carbohydrate you eat. Well, unless we're talking about fiber. And to think about this from a weight standpoint and how carbohydrates might impact that, fat actually contributes nine calories per gram, protein four, and alcohol seven. So why again are carbs the fattening nutrient? I also want to point out that USDA data shows since about 2000, sugar intake has actually been decreasing while the U.S. obesity numbers continue to rise. And this does include sugar-sweetened beverages. So if sugar is the cause of all evil, then why are RPCD numbers not decreasing if sugar intake is? So you're probably thinking, Monica, fine, fine, fine. You're right. Sugar or carbs alone don't cause the obesity epidemic because it's not about the calories, but instead our body's response to the sugar and carbs, or as some may know this, the glycemic index. 
The glycemic index refers to the body's response of a two-hour blood glucose test to 50 grams of carbohydrate food. So basically, how much the food will make your blood glucose rise in comparison to how much you eat. And pregnant women out there, I know you know what I'm talking about. So with, and with this test, pure glucose has a rating of 100. The glycemic index is making the assumption that you are eating carbohydrates alone, which rarely happens. And research shows that when carbs are eaten as part of a balanced meal with protein, fiber, and fat, the glycemic index of the food is decreased. And once again, studies have shown that when calories are controlled, high glycemic index foods do not make a difference on your body weight. I say all of this, though, to share that demonizing one nutrient is not necessary, that it is the total calories that are of concern. With that, I can also recognize that sugar is very tasty and easy to overconsume. And if you're like me, it is very easy to overconsume the M&Ms that are in my pantry. And those M&Ms provide me with very few nutrients, and now I just ate several calories before I even sat down for my meal. I don't only want to explain to you, though, why the low-carb diets are not backed by science. I want to express the importance of having carbohydrates in your diet. Carbohydrates are essential as an energy source for our bodies, not to mention they're the preferred energy source. They power everything in our body, like the exercise we do, but even our breathing and digesting of foods. It is also the only energy source that our brain can normally use. And now your body is smart and is able to store the glucose from the carbohydrates you need to help fuel your body all day long. So when you eat the carbs, they aren't instantly all used as energy. They get stored as glycogen, and then when your body needs them, the hormone glucagon triggers your body to convert glycogen to glucose for the body to use. This is how your body stays fueled in between meals. Your body, again, is smart and will turn to your other macronutrients, fat first and then protein, to fuel your body when limited on glucose, which is the concept of the keto diet. But I, for one, will argue that using your body's backup system is not ideal. The key to this message here is consuming all macronutrients, including carbohydrates, in the correct amount. We have several recommendations to help us determine that. One is the adequate intake, which is based on the minimum level of that nutrient you need. In the case of carbohydrates, we know that as long as you are over the age of one, you need a minimum of 130 grams of carbs for your brain to function normally. This number is different for pregnant and breastfeeding women. But this is for minimal energy needs, so we have the acceptable macronutrient distribution range as well. And for carbohydrates, this range is 45 to 65% of your daily calories. We mentioned that sugar is super tasty, so the dietary guidelines have recommended limiting added sugar to less than 10% of total calories. All right, so that's enough on carbs and keto for a second. Let's move to the new diet trend that gets a major eye roll from me, the carnivore diet. This is the new, more extreme version of paleo and is pushed by social media celeb, Liver King. I don't even want to give this much time because it's so ridiculous, but let's first talk about its popular claim that plants are toxic. First, say what? Carnivore enthusiasts get this idea from the fact that plants produce defense chemicals to defend against predators. While this might be true, it is important to think about the word, what the word toxic means. The word toxic gets thrown around a lot, and it's very important to remember that the dose makes the poison. And frankly, since there is plenty of evidence for plant-based diets and longevity, see the Blue Zone studies, that defense chemical isn't doing a very good job of warding off the human predator. The chemical phytoalaxins is the defense chemical of interest here, and there is no scientific evidence that shows it leads to any adverse health outcomes. 
Carnivore extremists also like to claim that saturated fat is better for us than unsaturated fats, specifically polyunsaturated fats. And now you may have heard of some of the very popular polyunsaturated fats known as omega-3s and 6. This claim is basically from the fact that there are healthy people with high LDL and unhealthy people with high LDL. So therefore, our saturated fat intake has no impact on our LDL levels. And now I can agree that someone can have high LDL but be otherwise healthy meaning someone who is of normal weight, doesn't smoke, and has no other risk factors for heart disease. But I could argue that person with high LDL is at more risk than the person who has no high risk factors and also has low LDL. But I digress. There is ample research that demonstrates that consumption of saturated fat increases LDL cholesterol. And LDL cholesterol is known as the bad cholesterol because it causes damage to arterial walls and increased risk of atherosclerosis or hardening and blocking of the arteries. Ample research also shows us that replacing them with polyunsaturated fatty acids like omega-3 and 6 decreases the risk of cardiovascular disease by lowering LDL. As science goes and should go, someone is always trying to question what is the current consensus, and there has been some recent data to show that there may be no effect, but there is certainly no research saying that polyunsaturated fats have a negative effect. And now both the keto diet and carnivore diet leave me asking, what about dietary fiber and your poor colon? There is evidence that fiber reduces constipation, but it is not necessarily the end-all be-all. Just because you increase your fiber intake does not mean that your bowel problems will be resolved. Water intake, as well as other bowel diseases, could play a role in constipation relief. Research shows, though, that an increase in fiber does increase our frequency of bowel movements for the majority of the population. However, fiber isn't only good for bowel movements. Dietary fiber might decrease the risk of coronary heart disease, stroke, hypertension, diabetes, and major cancers. So there's some results from 22 prospective studies that showed that the risk of cardiovascular disease and coronary heart disease both decreased by 9% for each 7 grams per day increase in dietary fiber. That same 7 grams per day increase in fiber was also associated with a 7% decreased risk of stroke. And there's another three meta-analysis that showed an increase of 10 grams per day of dietary fiber was associated with 5% reduction of breast cancer, 10% reduction of colorectal cancer, and 44% reduction in stomach cancer. And now there's plenty of studies out there on dietary fiber. So here's, a, uh, here's another study that showed us dietary fiber has been shown to prevent cholesterol production and reduce serum cholesterol, meaning that the soluble fiber lowers our LDL cholesterol, which results in about 20 to 25% risk reduction. Dietary fiber can help us lower blood pressure. It can promote body weight loss by regulating our energy intake. Fiber can also slow the glucose absorption and improve insulin sensitivity. It reduces contact time between potential carcinogens and mucosal cells by increasing the fecal bulking and viscosity. Fiber is aids in the binding between bile acids and carcinogens, and it improves the amount of estrogen excreted in the feces through an inhibition of estrogen absorption in the intestines. And finally, it can increase your levels of antioxidants. So I would say reducing or consuming very little fiber sounds like a bad idea, not only for our colon, but for our overall well-being. So listen to this. Something car carnivore followers won't tell you is there is actual scientific evidence that shows a diet high in meat has a high risk for developing cancer. And this is very interesting data as they use a hazard ratio to determine risk. And when a diet is high in fruits and vegetables, the hazard ratio decreases or the risk of cancer decreases.
But what's interesting is that when a diet was high in unprocessed red meat and high in fruits and vegetables, there was no association with cancer. But when the diet was low in fruits and vegetables and high in unprocessed red meats, there was an association. So when I read this, I think that it may not be the meat that is causing cancer, but instead the lack of fruits and vegetables that is causing cancer. And as a girl who grew up on a cattle and pig farm, I know that when we eat more meat, we tend to eat less fruits and vegetables. So I share this study, though, to help you think about the data that is presented. I'm not sharing this as a scientific consensus on the subject. More research definitely needs to be conducted, and I will be excited to follow it. So one of my favorite people to follow on social media is BioLane, and he put it this way. Dietary choices are like an investment of your money. In the short term, there not, might not be a big difference, but over a lifetime, that investment is ex exponentially more. I think about this a couple ways. If I choose to eat this candy bar today, in the long term, my health is not going to be impacted. But if I eat this candy bar every day for the rest of my life, this candy bar has an impact on my health. Meaning that I didn't run everything by eating that forbidden food once. It's my long-term dietary choices that are really going to impact me. Think about this concept as well when you review research. How long was the study? If it had an immediate impact on one's health, okay, fine. But over the long term, does the impact equal out or is it something to be concerned about? People promoting fad diets seem to pick and choose when they want to use short or long-term data. And remember, dose makes the poison. And lots of times arguments for these extreme diets like carnivore use this idea that if you overconsume something, it is bad for you. And this is 100% true. That's why we have created what's called the daily reference intakes and they're in place. But while doing this, they ignore the overconsumption of the nutrient they think is superior. So I hope this episode got you thinking about the research behind these popular diets and makes you read a little closer. And remember, those influencers are often picking and choosing the data they want to show you instead of sharing the scientific consensus. So keep joining us on Bite by Bite Nutrition for Life. And remember to ask questions, challenge the myths, and stay true to you.